0: done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Season 3, Episode 4 of the podcast, and we are going to be pulling up Season 1, Episode 2 of Enterprise as we continue our watch through 2151 and the 22nd century. Well, welcome back. Uh, we are going straight into this episode, Fight or Flight. Um, as far as I'm aware, not as popular with some people. Uh, it's still quite a good episode, but uh, there are some people who like uh, to put the episode down because not much happens, and we'll probably discuss that as we go through. But uh, on our ratings criteria, we've got cars. L is for locating our space time and the timestamp is a nice easy one at zero minutes and zero seconds. So let's discuss the episode. We begin as we see Hoshi looking at a slug creature inside a box and she's having this really nice conversation with Flocks. Now, one of the reasons that I think this episode is put down uh, comes from people who don't quite like Hoshi as a character uh I'm not entirely sure why because actually she's one of my favourite characters uh, and it's because of scenes like this um, I relate to Hoshi I think of all the characters because she has that healthy dose of fear about her um, it's uh, as I said before in the previous episodes with uh, my uh, guest Paul Wright uh, you know she is the person I think I would be if I were on a spaceship if I had a certain skill and I've been brought in and uh, it's been extended without really me thinking about it or thinking it through I don't think I would be that comfortable either but it's a really nice scene she is then talking to Flocks about this slug not quite being in the right place and there's already hints of a conversation that's going to come later in the episode where they mirror the slug situation to what Hoshi is talking about um, and already Phlox has got the gist that she is uh, emoting through this slug she is um, projecting all of her fears and insecurities into this situation about a slug that seems to be dying because it's been taken away from its natural habitat and it is also our return of uh, why i hate trip section or my traitorid section it's time you learn to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions you've always been impulsive one pan fried catfish show you to the nearest airlock maybe this will teach you as Trip comes in and says uh, you know how's Sluggo alright yeah he's being empathetic why would I hate him for that no nope, it's not that particular scene it's the fact that uh, he sort of just dismisses it and says you know We've come light years out here. and We've only made first contact with a dying worm. You know, most people, yeah, that's probably a weird bit of banter. Maybe you quite like it. Maybe it's a bit, you know, nice. But to me, considering we've just mirrored Hoshi's journey and what she's going to go through in this episode and Trip is already dismissing it, I'm having that as my fourth bit of trait in all of Star Trek Enterprise. So ding, I don't know what sound effect I'm actually going to be using for this segment as I'm recording this, but there we go, the fourth bit of Trip Hatred, or Traitred. Son of a bitch. We move on to another scene where it's Archer and he's sort of hearing this squeaky deck plainting, and he's not quite sure what's going on. It's a nice bit of continuity to think that this ship isn't quite ready to get out into space Uh, we're so used to thinking that starships have to go through so many tests before they have to get out there but it's quite a believable bit of reality that this super advanced bit of kit there are little niggles, things that aren't working, there's squeaks in the floorboards. T'Pol comes in and she is uh, her typical self and again Another character that I'm already loving so much is T'Pol. Uh, I know loads of people seem to put down her performance as wooden, but considering that she is playing an emotionless Vulcan, and so far probably the most emotionless Vulcan that we've had so far in Star Trek, uh, Tuvok was older, wiser, so he was a bit more flexible. Um, there were episodes where he emoted far more. Um, Spock obviously not being full Vulcan, uh, still had his emotional human side but T'Pol is probably the most straight-laced Vulcan we've had at this point when you consider where Star Trek was at the time so to have her coming in and she's already eye-rolling uh, she's sure. already got that sense of being you know oh god these bloody humans and um, and she's just trying to deliver her report that's all she wants and and Archer just will constantly be going on about this squeaky deck plating and how he's going to rip up all the floor and she just delivers with the whole that would be unfortunate and still tries to give her no report Uh, so many different things, the fact that they haven't actually come across any other species they haven't had the amount of first contacts they were kind of hoping for when they first got out into space Uh, it's a nice little bit of uh, discussion about One in 43,000 planets supports life, exobiology at the time, which I thought was an interesting statistic because this is the 22nd century. Here on the Temporal Trek podcast, we try and look at temporal inconsistencies. That definition of life will have changed quite significantly, at least in the 200 years it's been from where I'm sitting since this episode. As there are plenty of other forms of life. Silicon-based. I think this scene plays up even better when Hoshi comes in. And even she is put off by it. So Topol and Hoshi. Two of my favourite characters. And they have no idea what Archer's getting up to. We get now a conversation between Hoshi and Archer. Once Topol has left where it's about the stars are going the wrong way and I can kinda see some people's arguments that maybe this might come off as whiny, but honestly, I cannot see it myself. It makes perfect sense that she is trying to control as many situations as she possibly can. Speaking of someone who is fairly introvert in social situations, uh, when certainly in a situation that I'm unfamiliar with or feel unprepared for, I try to micromanage as many uh, situations as I possibly can to be under my own control such as where I'm staying where I am what am I doing because if I can control smaller parts of it then I can build up to the bigger picture of whatever task I'm trying to perform so it makes perfect sense to me and I think it's something that perhaps people who are more confident perhaps who uh, feel more sure of themselves um, Can't really understand or can't see or can't feel through no fault of their own. It's just, it doesn't even enter into their minds that someone would think this way. Uh, And therefore, it comes off to them as a bit whiny. Uh, But uh, to them, I say, naff off. (laughs) Joking, joking, joking. We move on to another scene, and it is uh, Travis and Reed. There seems to be a bit of a problem with uh, the torpedoes, and it's quite nice to see the armory room. we've had sort of inklings of this in the pilot you know that this is the basic level of technology that's going on um, these torpedoes look like old style torpedoes um, speaking as a man who uh, is doing tours on submarines when you've got the Mark 8 torpedoes right next to you, the things on Enterprise look like they would be something you would fire off in space uh, and also speaking of that, Archer comes into the scene and he slides down the ladder, now literally Every Navy man I have ever met whilst working on those ships does the exact same thing. Even though they are not supposed to, and even though for health and safety, I tell them repeatedly to please come down backwards on the ladder, facing the ladder as you go down one step at a time. Every Navy man will slide down those ladders, and it is infuriating. Uh, But when Archer does it, it does look pretty cool archer sees the need in testing their weaponry and it's a pretty good call so they're going to stop and do some asteroid tests before we get to that there is a small scene with trip and phlox actually one of the few scenes where i actually quite like trip Um, so uh, this is not going to be another traitred but it's made all the better with phlox phlox is pointing out all of the different Crew patterns of behaviour, uh, the smells after they work out, this sort of thing, and the whole scene sort of ends off with Flock uh, <laughs> saying that uh, he wonders if the couple that he thinks are going to go and uh, have sex would let him watch, uh, and Trips sort of smile and uh, look away in um, embarrassment is very believable when you're talking to someone who doesn't have necessarily the social graces that you're used to and you just don't know how to react there is nothing else you can do but smile and sort of look down Um, you just can't really go anywhere with that. Um, But it is another reason why Flox is such a good character. And I know I've already said that Hoshi and Tapa are two of my favourites. Phlox is the third in that uh, trifecta, um, as the three main characters that I think I appreciate the most. But Phlox's absolute optimism and joy and enthusiasm, it's infectious to watch. And it's something I think that carried through for all of Enterprise. And I hope that will always be the case as I do this watch through. They uh, stop and they begin to do their weapons test, and it doesn't quite work. There's uh, some great moments where, you know, the the torpedo is just skimming off the asteroid and then explodes. Another one where it actually comes back around is almost going to hit the Enterprise as well and then it has to be remote detonated. It feels very real and it's another reason why I did appreciate Enterprise. It was trying something different. Uh, It was something we hadn't seen before that the technology doesn't quite work yet. But they realize they need to adjust the sensors so they have to leave. ...on the way, T'Pol finds a ship... ...and it is adrift... ...floating around... ...and um, she actually reports it... ...which, considering the last episode... ...considering that she has... ...and considering that... ...she hasn't quite established... ...her loyalties yet... ...it seems odd that, given the conversation... ...she said earlier, that space is so vast... ...and you're not really going to find anything... ...that she could have let this thing go... ...but she didn't... ...and to me, in the audience that screams that she sees a value in these sorts of things despite the fact that throughout this episode she will protest and say that you don't need to investigate everything that not necessarily everybody will share your enthusiasm for exploration but she does still report it so it seems to suggest that she does get it she just wishes that the humans would have a bit more restraint with a few other things but we get our first first contact um, even though the Klingons were technically the first and then the Sulaban in the pilot episode there was no formality to it there wasn't a, a genuinely unknown element to it uh, Flock seemed to know who what the Sulaban were he didn't quite know where the genetic engineering had come from and the Klingons were a known entity to the Vulcans but this is a first first contact so this may come into my ratings criteria I'm thinking that this is going to have some consequences they begin by sort of moving close towards this derelict vehicle and they start to scan and I think it's quite interesting that T'Pol brings up this issue of privacy that not everybody would see the use of probes and sensors as an a passive thing and even today when you think about all of the invasive security procedures you might see at an airport or uh, in any kind of terminal uh, when you're traveling you've got um, x-ray machines uh, biometrics um, people checking your passport is still an invasion of privacy so many points but we seem to just you know wave it away we don't actually seem to question it very much and here poll is raising a quite valid concern what if these aliens view something like a scanner as a unacceptable violation of privacy she does sort of follow up this with saying that um, just because you're contacting them as they try to open communications that not everybody chooses to answer the door which for me seemed quite odd coming from a Vulcan it's true I know that I sometimes don't answer the door when I know who it is that's going to be knocking if it's a sales call or anything like that but Why would a Vulcan not choose to answer the door? That's the odd thing. Um, In Vulcan society, surely you still have to logically open the door to truly know what it's all about. Um, It seemed an odd analogy for her to be bringing up. Perhaps something um, more suited to Malcolm, Malcolm Reed, um, as weapons security. As security officer, he would have that kind of cautious nature so he might say that sort of phrase and that would make sense to him. But to to Paul, it's quite an odd bit of writing when you think about it. Archer doesn't seem to take any heed of what Paul is saying, asks Reed to prep the shuttle and they're going to go on board. He handpicks a team and it's going to be Reed to presumably break into this derelict ship and it's going to be Hoshi. Now up till now every scan they've taken has sort of indicated that there has been some weapons fire topol does try and put the kibosh on this and sort of say well it could be many other things as well but to the outside observer those scorch marks that they see on the ship would seem to indicate something has gone wrong they don't seem to be part of the exhaust ports and this I think is the disparity between the TV show and its writing and the TV show and its special effects And also calls back to something we mentioned in the pilot episode. The way that the blocking was made with the scene with the mother and son and with Trip. Now, those two shots would have been two separate occasions, not necessarily played on the same day. So the way that it was blocked with the mother and son might not necessarily marry up to the reaction that Trip and Connor Trenia, the actor, would have given. Again, the special effects in this episode would seem to suggest that the ship has undergone some sort of catastrophe. Not necessarily the weapons fire that they did suggest, but perhaps a natural disaster. So when Archer picks his team, it would make sense to me, the audience having seen the visuals and all of the situation there, that perhaps an engineer would be useful. And Trip brings this up. There is a scene in a corridor walking towards where the shuttle is going to be. And Trip says that you're going to need an engineer. It looks damaged. And yeah, I completely agree with him. Yes, I am agreeing with Trip. (laughs) Um, uh, Anyone who thinks that my hatred uh, means that I will not give him any time of day. Not true. Uh, He does make some good points. Unfortunately, he also annoys me. An incredible amount. Archer gives an excuse back that the ship's a little young, that uh, you know she, she still needs her engineer. I would argue that she probably needs her captain more. I mean, there's a whole team of engineers. Trip's great and all, but uh, you're coming across a ship that looks damaged. Why not take your engineer? My only thought as to why he doesn't take Trip is to do with the squeaking in his office, that he knows that the ship isn't perfect yet and that maybe he only really trusts Trip to do it right. It would certainly play into the two episodes we saw before the pilot episode and uh, particularly with Trip and how amazing he was with his laptop. We get another scene in Archer's Quarters and we are going to stop for the Porthos podcast. Pause for thought with Porthos. The man is talking to the pointed ear lady again. I still got my cheddar cheese. He's so easy. Pause for thought with Porthos. She now wants to get out of the assignment and it's a nice juxtaposition to what Trip was saying and to what Hoshi wants. Um, She says that she could hook in the universal translator through the con device uh, but um, she doesn't really want to go over because she's claustrophobic that she has a problem with the environmental suits but she bit her lip through training to get through it and quite rightly Archer says well just bite your lip again Uh, I need you and that's true he needs her expertise she is a phenomenal translator and we've already seen evidence of this Uh, In the first episode, she throws herself into the Klingon language so easily, Um, and it's an extraordinary power to have. I I wish, I wish I had that superpower to be able to understand languages, Um, not necessarily that fast, but at least other languages. And we're going to go back to the Porthos podcast. Pause for thought with Porthos. The man says that I'm not going to get any more cheese. But that's what you think, human. (laughs) Pause for thought with Porthos. We now get the scene where they're prepping for the mission. And uh, Reed is already packing every conceivable weapon he can find. Pistols, rifles, grenades, everything. And um, Archer says you've been watching too many science fiction movies and it's another one of those lines that just proves to you that enterprise really was trying something different um again it's unlike your picards your kirks your janeways your cisco's nobody really referenced pop culture um they referenced classical culture the classics um came into it a lot you know everything right up to shakespeare was quoted all the time but to hear a captain now talk about science fiction movies as a reference and that um, Reed is just being skittish because he thinks that there's something he's going to need to shoot when he's over there Um, it's it's just a single line And, and again a throwaway that most people probably wouldn't even think is worth a dime but just putting that into Archer's mouth changes how you view this crew and how they view the assignments coming up Uh, Going over to an alien spaceship isn't just day-to-day, it is something genuinely terrifying. It is the unknown. We get a lot of uh, shop talk about EM rifles, pulse rifles, as they introduce the phase pistols to Hoshi, who hasn't seen it. At first I thought this was going to be some continuity error, that she would have seen them uh, back in the pilot episode. But when you go back to the pilot episode, the away team onto Rigel... Only had the EM phase pistols, not the proper phase pistols we will see for for the rest of Enterprise. We do see a battery pack, and I think this is an interesting inclusion, especially based on what my guest said in the previous episode, that uh, you never get to see someone running out of phaser, yet clearly this phase pistol has a battery charge pack inside it Um, that could potentially overheat or lose power if it were continually to be used. So it might be interesting to think that everything before the face pistols might be even more prone to drainage. Malcolm also wants to blow up the hatch in order to get up to the ship, but unfortunately Archer uh, just pipped in at the post and managed to find a lever to pull. How he finds the lever and what logic he places into that, I have no idea, but he does ma- manage to figure it out. Clever bit of detective work from Hoshi, as she notices that there is a ladder, so they must be dealing with a biped species. It kind of makes sense that um, a ladder that spaced apart would have bipedal motion. But we know something is wrong. There's already this green liquid everywhere. Green blood, effectively. And we get this horrible noise of the pumps working uh, on the bodies that are suspended from the ceiling from meat hooks. Hoshi screams, and the scene ends. When you get back to Decon, we now have Archer already showing how different a captain he is being again. Um, He's he's really thrown for a loop about it. He doesn't know what to do. Um, He genuinely empathises with this crew, who have clearly been tortured and hooked up to a piece of technology he just doesn't recognise that doesn't match everything else on the ship. Interpol does make the argument that they should pull away, and part of me does agree because we have seen that Enterprise can't quite hold its own uh, in a fight because the torpedoes aren't quite ready yet. Uh, but there is an empathetic part, and it's something that Archer does mention later in another scene. You know, wouldn't you at least try to send a distress call or um, you know bring power back online for the ship in order to? perhaps find out a little bit more about what happened, identify the ship um, just purely for uh, your own selfish self-preservation that if you can find a log that shows what the ship looked like or the warp signature of that ship that for your own protection you know what to look out for and avoid but Archer does give in to to Paul's logic and they pull away and leave the ship on its own. We now get a call back to the original opening scene between Flocks and Hoshi, and Phlox is straight on it, talking about how she is that slug who is out of the environment, who doesn't fit in. Um, Hoshi does give some pretty good arguments as to why she is different and why her reaction was completely justified. Um, corpses on hooks its pretty unusual. Um, you know, it's quite hard to justify how that might be a cultural thing that this is not necessarily the norm for this species you know blood on the walls even if the pumps were perhaps hooked into the bodies to well take covid for example what if this were a research vessel trying to find a cure for covid or space covid shall we say space covid i like that um what if suspending the bodies on the hooks is seen to be a way of stimulating something in this species that might generate antibodies to create an antivirus? You know, there, there's a lot of leaps of logic there, but it could be brought in that this is uh, normal for this species, but to us as humans, this is still abnormal. There are still corpses on hooks. To us, that seems odd, and the fact that the technology, the pump, isn't like everything else on the ship, tends to think that this is something else. You know, um, one of the aliens is seen to have had a phaser blast to the chest, but we don't find that out until the Enterprise goes back. We get another food scene, and uh, it's pretty good. That uh, my guest from the last episode isn't here, Paul, because Trip is eating with his mouth open yet again. So here's another traitorid. Ding. Trip is trying to make his friend feel better, and he does try to change the subject. So I'm gonna go, uh, ding revoked. G, gnid. Ding gnid. Yeah, gnid. Ding backwards. There we go. Topol is quite cold in this scene, and when she's talking to Archer, she says that you know we would never have been there in the first place, um, but Archer was there. And Archer does empathise with them, and this is a human exploration vessel. Um, part of the thing that sort of threw us in the pilot episode was, what right does the Vulcans have to do anything? It doesn't seem to make sense that just because they were the first to find us, that that the human race would even defer to that. Um, you know, this is their solar system. It seems odd for the Vulcans to antagonise a species and hold them back when. Um, they have literally nothing to do with it by their own admission they wouldn't have even come to this planet had they not seen something that piqued their curiosity i.e a warp trail it's part of the code of behavior that topol says the Balkans have um, but what right then that has for them to hold that species back whether it's humans or not it seems very odd Archer changes his mind and says we're going to go back we're going to go and help them out we're going to at least try and take them down from the hooks try and contact their families um it's an empathetic move but the right one i feel as would pretty much anyone i think watching this episode at the briefing uh, archer does ask flocks if he's okay with the eva suits um and it makes you wonder like did he ask flocks because he's nice to flocks and Flox doesn't complain or is he asking because Hoshi raised the issue of being claustrophobic and now he's asking it as a point of fact it's interesting to think that he is changing his behaviors one way makes him look like a bit of an idiot and one way makes him look like a really nice captain and I'm going to go with the latter given that he is going for this uh, empathetic choice of these aliens there's a bit of a discussion about, um, when humans used to hunt animals for certain artifacts, for medicines, for rhino horns, um, never mentions whales, uh, which, uh, you know, now we're thinking about, you know, 20th century and voyage home. Maybe mentioned some whales. Maybe they're extinct at this point. Who knows? Maybe no one thinks of the whales anymore, but. There's an ominous prediction by Phlox saying that the triglobulin of these aliens is pretty similar to lymphatic fluid in humans. So the aliens who come back might turn on the Enterprise. As I said, Tripp and Hoshi are working together as they try and decipher the computer and also restore power and there's a really nice conversation between two of them about who is the most important person on the ship. I would argue that because there is an entire staff of engineers that Trip is less valuable than Hoshi but given that out in space you need a vehicle to at least get to find other species to then learn the language it could be argued that without Trip you can't get anywhere but with an entire team of engineers I think I fail to think that you're not going to get anywhere without all of them whereas Hoshi is doing this pretty much on her own. And I think that Hoshi is giving herself a hard time thinking that she shouldn't be there. Um, She should absolutely be there because her skill is completely crucial. And she's right that wherever she goes, there's going to be language, thousands of languages, dialects, even from just a single species. And until you can communicate, you can't always solve a problem. The enemy ship that has uh, hung the aliens on meat hooks comes back and it's quite gnarly looking. I really do like the kind of crab insectoid look of the ship. Um, When I first watched the episode I do remember thinking you know what if this is the Orions? What if this is part of what forms the Orion Syndicate? Um, I I was always hoping that this species were going to become sort of a recurring thing that we didn't actually see the species we just kind of heard of them. and knowing the time period knowing that um, in the ether of Star Trek lore there was going to be a Romulan war at some point where we don't get to see the enemies I would have loved that this be the setup for the Orion Syndicate which then sets up the whole point of the Romulan war and why we never see them, it's to maintain that scariness that it's always part of not trying to be known by your enemy that's why the Romulans refuse to be seen um You know, I do remember those feelings first watching this episode. But it is definitely scarier not knowing what the species look like and knowing that they are just here to get you and what's inside you so they could potentially sell it. Because the ship's turned up, Archer says, you know, what's our weapon status? And Reed says a very odd statement. I could hit a stationary dairy barn. That doesn't really strike me. Speaking as a Brit, as a very British expression. Maybe he would reference a stationary Robin Reliant uh, or uh, something like that but maybe that's a bit outdated Um, but stationary Dairy Balm seems an odd thing for a Brit to say. There's a great scene where the shuttle is docking with the Enterprise as a phaser fire fight is going on and and there's a really odd thing to notice but there's the black and yellow tape around the edge of the uh, shuttle docking pylon and It's so weird to think that there is like HR and health and safety on the Enterprise. Something we never see in TOS all the way through. Um, In Enterprise, there is this expectation that the crew have to be aware of yellow security tape. Really strange detail uh, to pick up, but for some reason it just flared up um, as I was watching this episode. Reed tries to shoot a torpedo. Unfortunately, it bounces off the ship and it shields and doesn't do any damage the second one is uh, lined up and it just gets shot down straight away with the phases and the whole episode then shifts into this just long drawn-out tense scene where this enemy ship claws its way onto uh, the Enterprise using a, an energy tractor beam and they are drilling physically into the hull and again it's just a nice scary thought that these these aliens Don't rely on, you know, namby-pamby transporters. They are drilling. They are getting into you. They're going to burrow their way inside the ship to get inside you to then sell what's inside you. It's a scary thought. But another ship turns up, and it matches the derelict ship that they found in the first place. Hoshi is constantly trying to um, uh, talk to them, but she's not sure of herself. She's constantly doubting herself. Archer, you know... um, leans in and he says that he needs her he does grab her which it feels odd to watch and it's uncomfortable to see as he sort of grabs her to get her attention I can see why he would do it because there is this urgency there is this tension there is the the very real threat that this is the end of the Enterprise's mission straight away we know that as, the, as the audience that's not going to happen but to them they think that this is it but to grab someone to get attention still feels uncomfortable to me. She does however rise to the occasion and but it could lead to another consequence in our ratings criteria which I'll go into much later. This is also almost another archer abduction moment but it doesn't quite play out as Hoshi is able to speak to the captain from the second ship and gradually they come to an understanding that they are not the ones who caused the problems with the original ship that it is these aggressors above them why it took the aliens so long to figure that out i'm not entirely sure um why it would take all of this back and forth and discussion to see that a ship that is physically drilling into the enterprise and was so outmatched um could have posed any kind of threat seems odd so the tension is a bit lacklustre after that point once he's constantly talking it's like well what's going on you should be able to work this out by now but the day is saved the second captain fires on the enemy vessel and uh, for good measure the enterprise fires a torpedo and manages to rig a nice explosion we find out that it is may 6th 2151 to get our time for the actual episode And we find out that the species are the Axanar, who are an androgynous 400-year-old species. Things seem to go well. Uh, There's no mention in Archer's Log that uh, this was a bad diplomatic event. And uh, further to our previous episode, thinking about how the Enterprise just kept on going and hadn't quite packed enough food, perhaps, you could argue that perhaps the Axanars gave them a supply of food as a thank you gesture for what they were trying to do with the derelict ship. The whole episode finishes as the slug is released onto another planet and Hoshi sort of sends it on its way, being escorted by Flocks. This is where I think if this were a Lower Decks episode as soon as Hoshi and Flocks leave though however uh, a massive bird, a hawk or something just flies down, picks up the slug, eats it and off it goes. Um, that doesn't happen but uh, it, having just watched loads of Lower Decks before watching this episode I was kind of expecting that comedic turn at the end, but it was a nice, sweet, typical Star Trek ending here. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Pretty short, really. Um So moving on, we start in the rest of our ratings criteria and we go on to consequences. Well, there have been several consequences in here, uh, one of which was about grabbing your officer just at the end of the episode. It does set a precedent that a commanding officer on a starship vessel Trying to get the attention of a officer who is slightly out of their mind, must be grabbed so that you get their attention. Um, it's not necessarily a good consequence and not necessarily one that I would want to keep going uh, and be a bad precedent for workplace uh, relations, but it is a consequence nevertheless. We also have uh, the consequence of uh, the first first contact, very interesting. and. As far as we can see, the first time that a torpedo is fired from a Starfleet vessel in anger. We've never seen any other uh, antagonistic conflict up to this point. Uh, We've never seen a torpedo being fired at another vessel. We saw the Sulaban under attack by the Enterprise when they were in the clouds, Um, but they were using the phase cannons at that point, not torpedoes. So that's another consequence. But as far as temporal consequences and as far as my report for uh, the temporal investigations there's nothing here that i can put my finger on so we're going to move on to alterations as i say hoshi is one of my favorite characters uh, as well as topol and Flocks, and It's a nice Hoshi episode. We get to see that not everything is right for her, that she hasn't quite settled in, just because they are now underway in the mission they were hoping to get, that everyone is on board, everyone is ready to go. Um, It's a nice thought that we're getting some character development for her, Um, even if it feels as though it's being whiny and maybe underplayed. It is nice to have the focus on someone in the crew who in other Star Trek shows, the comm officer, namely TOS, is a relatively ignored character and given her skill, given her immense ability to learn languages so fast, um, makes her the most important person quite easily. As far as the pacing of the episode, there are some odd choices. Uh, Like I say, that, that final tense conflict It's tense at first when the bad guys turn up and start drilling into the Enterprise, but when there's enough time to have a conversation with this other captain, the Axanar captain, um, and there's enough time for that understanding, that tension starts to to waver, to to loosen. And uh, if it had just been a bit punchier, perhaps if we heard the, the creaking of the drill and we could have understood maybe from Hoshi's gestures that... She's pointing towards them, drilling as she's saying the accent language. That it would have just implied a bit more urgency as they were going. But as far as changing the episode or wanting anything expanded, it's it's pretty good as it is. Um, I would have liked to have seen this particular vessel and this threat come back more often. The idea that. the the crew of the Enterprise are hunted in some way because they possess this lymphatic fluid that is for some reason um, valuable enough for someone to murder an entire crew for Um, it for me cements the problem now with the pilot episode the pilot episode brought in this temporal cold war which sounds cool Uh, the Sulabon which are cool but it seems like a problem that could have come maybe in season 2 Perhaps if the first season of Enterprise had been something smaller, something like this, something that's more of a direct threat to humans being in space, it might have lent more credence to the idea that the Vulcans are holding them back because space is so violent, so incredibly scary, uh, that there is a race who are just there to drain your body of everything that it has, just to sell it on, just for profit to have invoked something like a temporal cold war and uh, events from the future impacting the past it it seems like something that they could have done in season two once they've established the characters to give an unusual threat um enterprise the pilot at least could have been on earth as archer is putting together the crew and there is some action element to it um Perhaps there is something on Earth that is um, preventing them, political uh, motivations, perhaps something like that. And it's only when they overcome it that they realize that there's this need to explore because they need to look beyond themselves. And after that, once they've left the soul system, then you get an episode like this where it's um, about the scariness of other races that not 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 everything is going to be good for humanity but it's still going to be there to learn from so as far as alterations are concerned I think I would have liked to have seen more of this episode but the pacing could easily be a lot better recommendations do I recommend this episode to Star Trek fans as I say lots of people give Hoshi a hard time about um, her um, unwillingness to participate and uh, often write her off as whiny but Again, speaking as someone who is quite introvert in these sorts of social situations, uh, I relate to that. I understand that. I understand her behavior. She is being a realist. She is trying to control what she can and go from there. So to me, I would recommend this episode because it is scary. It is something that we haven't seen before. The way Archer acts, he isn't in the Prime Directive because it hasn't been written yet. So he doesn't know, um, you know, all of the rules of engagement. Um, He could get stuck in, he could help out the other ship. Even if that maybe causes a diplomatic incident later on in the line, to know that he didn't give up his human values would have been interesting to see. So to see that happen, you know, second episode of Enterprise. It's nice. Um, so to Star Trek fans, I, I think this is an essential episode because it does lay the foundation for quite a lot to come. To non-Star Trek fans, like I say, there are pacing issues, it is a bit slow. There's an entire five minutes given over to them weapons testing, which if you're not really into it or don't know Star Trek yet, um, you know why is that important? They're testing a weapon, is that really you know a wow factor for an episode? Um, but there is this relatable element with Hoshi. And I think non-Stotric fans would at least appreciate that. So overall, if you like your character drama and you are getting into Enterprise to kind of understand characters, I think this is a good episode to have. Um, whether or not it will pay off later with development with Hoshi, you just have to see. So for non-Stotric fans, I will recommend for people who like character, but not necessarily action and that's it. All that remains is for me to set up the next episode. Join me next time as we move on to Season 1, Episode 3 of Enterprise for Season 3, Episode 4 of this podcast, as we go to Strange New World, and we are starting at 0 minutes and 0 seconds. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at rider underscore coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show or a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast, with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, If you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.